Welcome to the A Fire podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. Ethics with L. Rosenheim, part two. Here's the question, how can we be more ethical even as the world becomes more unstable? A lot of people talk about ethics in a time of crisis. What kinds of decisions do you make? How and when do you make them? When things are difficult in a time like the great financial crisis or even the time that we're living through right now uh, with COVID and the accompanying economic stress. So if you could share a little bit, L, about how your decisions are influenced by times of crisis and how ethics serves you and your investors in such a time. Let's go back to the to 2008, the GFC. So the GFC, actually GFC was a, a, a great lesson for us. I mean, in, in, in Profimex and our organization was a, a great lesson, which actually prepared us to be more, prepared us to the to, to different crisis, which is the COVID-19. I mean, we entered to the COVID-19 crisis. I was frightened when I actually came back from from FI, we had it in February in New York, right? I think it was February 19. I came back to Israel. I was supposed two weeks later to fly to Switzerland, officer, and everything, you know, collapsed. And I was afraid that we are going to have a repetition of the GFC. So the GFC caught us that we were highly leveraged. Many, many investments that we have, we had the LTV covenant. And I made a decision, now, two decisions that I had to make at that time. I mean, do I go forward or do I work very hard to save investment that went into trouble? And for three or four years, I really did not do anything to go forward to deal with it, with, with two things for the company to go forward. I, I totally dedicated to myself for three or four years to work on deals that went sour and to see how we can save them together with our local partners. We have done close to 30 deliverables, close to 30, which means, I mean, you know, we have a deal, let's say we put five, seven, $10 million in a deal. We have 30 investors and we had to do deleveraging. And I had to meet, let's say 30 multiplied by 30, like I had to, to deal with 900 investors to tell them either we lose the money that we invested or you have to bring more money to 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 deliver it to deliver and save the deals. This is what I have done, and here I didn't use any one of the company. I said I will deal with it. I had to do it personally, and I think that except one deal that we could not save as a deleveraging process, all of them we did save, and that was three four years of hard work, and. 
end up, and then I tell you what's the difference between the TFC and, and the COVID-19. Uh, we had another deal that was in trouble lately because of what happened in New York, the rent control, etc. And we have one investor, a lawyer, he invested with us only one deal, the only deal he invested with us, $100,000. That's all what he invested with us. And I called him, I said, I need to talk with you. And I went to speak with him in person regarding the problem that we have. And the guy said to me, for $100,000, you're coming to speak with me? I said, yes, because this is my responsibility. I did not send the person in charge that was the liaison. I took care of it personally, and that's what I did for three or four years. And then, you know, for we did a lot of changes, a lot of changes uh, that the GFC uh, taught us how to do. We reduced the leverage, uh, the investment committee, before uh, the 2008, either the investment committee either was a majority or our chief investment officer made a decision to make an investment. And to protect the first time that, you know, we had you know, a lot of deals that went sour. I decided, number one, the investment committee, uh, it has to be, uh, if, one's in another, in, in if one says no, you don't make the investment, which means everyone, out of six people, one says no, we don't make the investment. No majority, everybody has to make. That's number one. Number two, all investment committee members, all of them, all of them, all six are investing personally in every deal that we do. They have the personal money in. So we made a lot of changes over the, obviously we reduced the leverage from 80, 85 to our average now 64% after the GFC. So we came to the COVID-19 a crisis more prepared. And I think we came more prepared for two reasons. Number one, that we learned from mistakes that we did. And number two, that we really acted ethically. And I personally was so much involved in saving deals instead of looking forward, how do I, you know, and, and it took, and I give you something which I don't mind that everybody will hear it. I brought a lot of money from home, a lot of money. I sold every every real estate personally that I held in Israel. I redeemed all my pension uh, funds that I had and brought it to the company. And it took the company 10 years, 10 years to pay me back the money that was that I loaned to the company to keep through the bad period. You know, I did, uh, you know, we leverage, we leverage our deals in, uh, you know, when we do deals. I never took loans from a bank. I never owed money to anybody. It's, it's, you know, I come, both my parents are from Germany. This is a German mentality, not today, but at that time. If you don't have money, you don't spend it. So, uh, and we came to um, to the COVID-19 much more prepared. And I was afraid that it's going to repeat itself. You know how many deals we have done since, since June? 11 investments. And after, after the GFC, 11 months, we have not done one deal because we were so well prepared because we did so much right ethical decision over there in 2008 and 2009. And so it's the end. It's the end. It needs to be ethical. You probably will never be rich. You know, an editor, here's another story. The editor of the most important economic paper in Israel once said to me, he said, Elfanan, You'll never be rich. People like you are never going to be rich. You live economically okay. You'll be fine. But I don't care. I want to be remembered 
that I worked correctly, that we never did, that we worked ethically, that we worked honestly, and we always put the interest of our investors in for, before our own interest. And that's what is, and that's what I teach everybody in the company. Well, I would also encourage anyone who's listening to this to uh, take a look at the case study that was developed, it's on our website, uh, that looked at how to deal with or what what the decisions might be around this crisis and how to work with your investors to get through this crisis. I, I found it really helpful and, and, and a great way to think about and talk about these kinds of ethical choices. So Al, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about what you do when dealing with an employee or a partner who is not ethical and is stepping over the line. How do you approach that? So when I have to fire someone who is a good person, an honest person, but not but professionally not good enough, I don't sleep at night. It takes me weeks and I'm giving another chance and another chance and another chance. But if someone does something which is unethical, I fire him without hesitations. So, and here is a story how I fired someone who was very high up. And, you know, we only, according to the law, according to our partners in the state, we are allowed to bring only credited investors. I mean, credited investors, according to the U.S., you have to sign that you have at least $1 million net worth, not including the home that you live in, the house that you live in. So we always, everybody, that we do it for 20 20 years at least. So everybody has to sign it. Now we also have the Israeli law that you have to be an Israeli accredited, but I'm talking about the U.S. accreditation. And one day, one of the salesmen people come back to me and said, you know, I, he was together with a sales manager in a meeting, and he said, you know, you have to sign that you are an accredited uh, investor. And he said, what you did? He said that you have at least $1 million. And the sales manager said to this potential investor, because the guy said, I'm not sure that I have a million dollars that I can sign. So the sales manager said to the uh, to this client, or to this potential investor, said, nobody checks, you can sign it. Nobody checks, you can sign it. I, I, I fired him that day. That day, I fired him. Because what is the message that you give to investor that you don't keep the law, that you are allowed to lie? And I fired him. I'm not going to keep this guy, and I'm not going. And it was also a lesson to the salesman that you you, you cannot go to and tell someone you, the lie nobody is checking you. And I'm sure that I have many stories like that. So this is an ethical decision. And I, you know, if I have another two three minutes, I'll tell you. I gave once a bonus to one of the salespeople, a bonus that other managers would have fired the guy, and I gave him a bonus. I hear a conversation of one of the salespeople, and he spoke with the with the lady because uh, you know in Hebrew you talk differently to men or to to male or female, and and he explained to her that he wants to, that we will return her money to investment. She should not make the investment. And after the conversation, I said, you know what, you know why did you tell her that she should not invest? That we will pay, give her the money back. She should not be part of this investment. And he said, I understood. That that's all the money she had. She took the money that she had and invested with us. And you always said, you know, the people have to diversify. You cannot take all the money. I said, good decision. Thank you very much for the decision. 
and I didn't do anything until we had uh, the following week a, a company meeting. And at the company meeting, I told it to everybody, and I gave him a very big bonus. I gave him a bonus. I said, you know, because of your action, and I said, I didn't tell it to you until today, I wanted everybody to hear it, that you don't care about what's good for the company. You have to, you have to care about, number one, be ethical. You cannot take $100,000 from someone that doesn't have many more, a lot more money, because there's always a risk in every investment you do. And because you made the right decision, I gave him a big bonus that everybody should hear the way, what I did. Well, given the story you just told, what do you think is the golden rule? That that one rule for real estate investors where everything else flows from that? The first rule is that you should know that everything we do is risky. You know, we may lose money. Deal may not go well. And that's why we tell people always to invest in, in the funds and not in a single transaction just to reduce, reduce the risk. When we lost our first deal that we lost, maybe it was 1999 or 2000, we put an option, 5,000 pounds per investor. 5,000 pounds, we just put an option, it's called an uh, off plan. I mean, you put an option with a developer and then uh, uh, you sell the apartment. It's the apartment have not been, I mean, the land had not been bought yet. It, it's a whole, it's like to buy an option. It was a 5,000 pounds per, per investor. And we had to put another 5,000 pounds per investor. And I made an investor's meeting because I flew to England and everything the developer said, you know, we're going to have the planning and everything, nothing happened. I made an investor's meeting and I said, you know, I want to tell you, I'm not comfortable. And we have to make a decision. Do we pay another 5,000 pounds and we are going to risk 10,000 pounds? Or we walk away now and lose 5,000 pounds. And maybe, you know, this developer will be okay. But from the first, already in the beginning, he is not performing according to the plan. So the people said, what do you say? I said, you know, I want to be the last one to answer. And everybody talked. And, um, you know, whenever there's a meeting, I like to be the last one to, to say my word because I don't want people to hear what I say. I want to hear what other people say. And over like 70% of the people say, let's, you know, walk away, let's lose the, lose the 5,000 pounds. And that was a decision. I put a picture of the drawing of this project. When everybody came to the office, it was a big picture. And it said, this is our first total loss, probably not the last one. And a huge picture. When you enter the office, now we don't have this picture. We have this in the, in the, somewhere in, 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 the, in the hallway. But everybody that came to a meeting, all this picture, which says, this is our first total loss. It may not be the last one, or it's not, probably not going to be the last one. This is a message that people should know that when you make an investment, you take a risk. So this is before people gave us their money or trusted us their money. Thereafter, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make between right and wrong. And I don't debate a lot about what's right and wrong. I think I know it comes from my stomach. You know, it, it comes from, from inside. That's why my father, when he took me when I was 10 years old to 
bring back money that he found. And he taught me, you're not touching money, which is not yours. Or my grand-grandfather, they ripped the stamp because you don't steal money from the post authorities. I mean, it's... So you and I have had a lot of conversations over the last couple of years around ethics and around its importance in the institutional real estate investing industry. What do you think we should work on? What do you think this industry needs to work on and how should it focus better on the issue of ethics? You know, I, I love FIO and I think that we, we is a good group of people, which I think I can associate with. I've never... You know, it's it, it, it's a pleasure for me. It's an honor for me to be a part of FIRO, which I think you know we have partners, and I've I've seen how they work. It it it's it's a pleasure to work with our joint venture partners because I think that we share the same ethical standards. So I, I I'm not sure that I can teach anyone in FIRO how to be ethical. But I think that, you know, you remember the FIRE, I think they are, it's a good, good and honest group of people. You should be proud of, you know, you know, chairing our organization. Well, I, I feel very fortunate to work with such a group as, as well. Um, I think a question then for you, Al, at this point is, say we're, we're standing in front of a group of your fellow AFIRE members. Someday we'll do that once COVID is over. Um, and you are wanting to start an ethical discussion, uh, something to provoke thought and uh, ultimately to engage in a pursuit of better ethical behavior. What question would you start with? What do you do if you find out that someone did something very, very bad? How do you... Do you keep it for yourself because you may be sued for you know defamation, or do you tell it you 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 you, you tell, tell it to your uh, uh, colleagues? I think we are facing ethical decisions almost every day. I mean, do we want to have unethical people at, at fire? I'm sure that everybody will say no, and I think that really, I mean, I know so many people, so many members, and I feel very comfortable that I am in a group that works ethically. And, you know, we invest with so many, we are investing now with 17 different joint venture partners. Some are uh, members that have We invest with some of them for 20, almost 19 years. I have not seen once that they have behaved unethical. So I'm proud that the same people that we invest with are members at FIRE. It's, it's a great group of people. Yeah, well, I very much agree. And uh, I'm glad that uh, we've had this chance to have this conversation and look forward to the next one that we have. I'd encourage everyone who's listening to go back to the summer issue of AFIRE Summit. It's available on uh, www.afire.org to take a look at the case study that was worked on several months ago. A great place to start the conversation with your colleagues, with your employees, with your partners, and a great way to kind of think more deeply around how can we focus more and more on ethical outcomes? So again, thank you, Elle, for being a part of the AFIRE podcast. Great. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.